0: Sometimes in life, a relationship, an existing relationship, undergoes such a radical transformation that what you get on the backside of it is essentially a brand new thing. Take, for instance, your dating relationship. When Julie and I uh, were dating, we were relating to one another as boyfriend and girlfriend, so we went on these things called dates, and we went out to eat, and we went to the movie. And then at the end of the date everybody went to their own home. But then we got married and uh, we couldn't afford to go on dates or out to eat or to see movies and no one went home. And that was a radical transformation. The character of the relationship that had been existing underwent a completely fundamental change and what we had on the back end of that was something new. There's a reason That one of the highest years of divorce are years one and two. It's navigating that really huge transition from boyfriend, girlfriend to husband, wife. But hopefully you settle in and things begin to kind of reach a good place as you're relating and learning how to relate to one another as spouses and you decide to have kids. And suddenly these kids come into the equation, and you're not only relating to one another anymore as husband and wife, you're relating to one another as co parents for these people that you're completely responsible for. And it is a radical transformation. I think it is the primary reason that the highest years for divorce are years seven and eight. I think navigating that change from just being a husband and wife to being co-parents of children is is a big big hurdle for people but hopefully hopefully you make it and and things settle in and you're relating to one another as 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 spouses in a good place and you're relating to one another as co-parents in a good place and you begin to be very intentional and very direct with your children as you're parenting them and they grow and there are changes in strategy as they get older but then all of a sudden they are adults And you as a parent are now having to relate to your child not as a a child for whom you're fully responsible for but an autonomous adult. And that relationship goes through this radical transformation and you really have something completely new on the back end of that. My point is that existing relationships that we have in life, will undergo such radical transformation from time to time that what you get on the back end of it is a completely new relationship. But if you can navigate that transition, what you get is infinitely more fulfilling and infinitely more rewarding. I want you to keep that in mind as we walk through our passage of Scripture today. If you would, please find the New Testament book of Romans. Find chapter 7. Paul, the person who wrote Romans, has been working at this point in the book to correct some misconceptions about grace. Now, there are nuances to those misconceptions, but in general, the primary misconception that he is addressing is the idea that because I now exist and live as a follower of Jesus under His grace, that I can sin without consequence. And he's saying that's not at all true. What you need to understand is that your relationship to, let's just for the sake of ease, this is oversimplification, but let's just say, for the sake of ease say, your relationship to the Ten Commandments, the thou shalt, thou shalt Nots, Because of grace has been so radically changed that your relationship to those those moral laws has become something completely different and if you understand that difference what you get is a far more rewarding interaction with those things than what you had before grace and he's going to use the illustration of relationship to highlight what you get on the back end he sets it up in verse one of chapter seven he says do you not know brothers For I am speaking of those who know the law, who know, let's again, for the sake of real oversimplification, call them the Ten Commandments, for those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. He's making a point that we should all get. Dead people do not have to obey the Ten Commandments, right? Can we agree there? Dead people are under no obligation to keep the laws of the Ten Commandments, But what he's done by bringing that out is actually set up a main illustration from the context of the marriage relationship, and that's in verses 2 and 3. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. So, you see, really simple illustration. A woman who is married simply cannot decide to have two husbands, and the ladies here are saying, why would anyone ever (laughs) decide that? But a a woman is, is not free To have two husbands if she tried to exist with two husbands she would be called an adulteress but if her husband dies she is then free to marry another and she would not be called an adulteress so with that really two-pronged illustration dead people don't have to obey the Ten Commandments and wives who are widowed are under no obligation to remain acting as if married to the dead husband he begins to apply it in this way He says, likewise. So let's just know that what has existed before has been an illustration. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Let's stop right there and make sure that we understand what it means because there is a huge misconception, I think, about what it means when Paul says you have died to the law. I think what we hear is the law is... is is not important to me anymore the Ten Commandments are, are not something that I have to worry about anymore and that is not what he's saying he's actually hoping we remember what he said back in chapter 6 look at chapter 6 verse 6 he says we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. What does he mean when he says the one who has died has been set free from sin? He's referring primarily to sin's penalty. Because we are sinners who have violated the law of God. The wrath of God is against us. That is the theme of Romans 1 through 3. But Jesus Christ on the cross took the full penalty the full condemnation of our breaking of the law upon himself and because he has done that we do not exist under sins condemnation anymore all of it has been spent fully on Christ so when back in uh, chapter 7 he says in verse 4 you have died to the law through the body of Christ What he is saying is is that because of what Christ has done, the condemnation against you, the wrath of God against you for your violation of the law has been spent. There's nothing left for you because Jesus took it all. He is not saying you died to any obligation to the Ten Commandments. He is saying that you have experienced in Christ the full judgment of, of your breaking of the Ten Commandments. Then he says this. He says this has happened so that you may belong to another, to him who has raised you from the dead. Paul here and in other places likes to speak of the relationship that we have with the Ten Commandments before Christ as actually being... Uh, a belonging to them. He's already used as an illustration slavery, being enslaved to them. But with the condemnation against us for breaking the law spent fully on Christ, we are now free to belong to another. And the one that we belong to is the one who died for us. So the sin which separated us from God has now been removed. The condemnation of that has been removed, and we are free to belong to Jesus. For what purpose? He says that at the end of verse 4. We are freed in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, that's super important because what we exist in thinking prior to coming to Christ is that we want to please God. We want to do what God wants us to do. If we were put on the stand and asked to swear an oath, we would say, yeah, I care about doing what God wants me to do. But what Paul has said and what he's about to say is that's really not the case. You don't want that as badly as you claim to want it. But when you experience the grace of Jesus Christ, which takes away the condemnation against your violation of the law, you are actually free to do that which you claim you want to do, which is please God. And then he says this in verse 5 to kind of unmask this idea that we really want to please God even before Christ. He says, For while you were living in the flesh, before you came to Christ, our sinful passions aroused by the law work in our members to bear fruit for death. He's saying that back before Jesus, when you claimed you wanted to please God, the standards that God set for us actually aroused your inclination to break those standards and produced in you death, separation from God. But when Jesus comes, the grace that we are experiencing in him removes the condemnation of sin and unites us brings us into full union with him which allows us to actually do that which we claim to do what you've really wanted to do is break the standard what you really have wanted to do is do your own thing this is what he means when he says before Jesus the law aroused our passions, our sinful passions. Anyone who has ever parented a toddler will get what Paul is saying. I will never forget an experience one night when I was uh, a pastor in Tennessee, rural Tennessee, living in a church parsonage on Rabbit Trail Road. It's just as country as it sounds. And there in that parsonage, my little daughter, Abby, was scooting through the den. And came upon something that interested her. The the little pull cord for the blinds of the back porch. And she reached out and touched it. And I said, Abby, no. Now, before that moment, it was just a cord. But from the moment she heard no, it became an opportunity. And so I said, Abby, no. No. And she looked at me with her sweet little face and her blue eyes. And she reached out and got that cord. And I thumped her little hand, took it back, ow, boom. And that would be going on today if I hadn't said to my wife, You're going to have to bail us out of this somehow what had happened what had just been a thing in the living room suddenly became an opportunity for her to exercise her will the moment she heard don't do that it inflamed in her to desire to say yes i will that is what the law did to us prior to christ we claim that we want to do those things actually what we want to do is we want to know where the line is, not to stay this side of it, but to cross it. That's what he means in verse 5. But he says this in verse 6, but now we're released from the law. In other words, the condemnation, the threat of judgment that the law holds over our head, do this or experience the judgment of God, has been removed because Christ has experienced in full that judgment. We're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. Speaking of what Christ has done for us. So that, he says, now we relate to the law in a new way. So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, in the new life that we have experienced in Christ Jesus, not in the old way of the written code. Before Christ, we saw the law and we knew the line we wanted to cross. But because the threat of condemnation has been taken away from us, and because we've been brought into full union with Jesus himself, the spirit of Christ in us allows us to actually be able to do that, which we claimed we wanted to do all along, which is live a life that is pleasing to God, which is a reflection of his holy character. What he is saying is that the relationship that a believer has has with the law, because of grace, has been fundamentally changed. I'm going to say something multiple times. You're going to get the opportunity to write it down, but this is the summary, really, of everything that he's been doing since verse 1 of chapter 6. New life in Christ creates a new relationship with the law that results in a new way of living. New life in Christ Creates a new relationship with the law, which results in a new way of living. One more time. It's on the screen. We've got to get this down. New life in Christ, surrendering ourselves to Jesus as Savior, creates a new relationship with the law, the Ten Commandments, the moral codes, the thou shalt and thou shalt not. That creates in us a new way of living, of living with those thou shalt and those thou shalt not and it's all because ultimately the threat of condemnation has been taken away with that removed with the threat of judgment with the threat of being separated from god removed we are actually freed to do that which pleases god let me try to illustrate why that threat of condemnation being removed makes a huge difference by giving you the example of me trying to teach my two very different children how to drive. I obviously was the one given responsibility, take Caleb out, teach him how to drive. And Caleb's a good driver, not because he's naturally gifted. We got him through All of that was necessary to get him to drive, not because I was a great teacher. The reason that I was able to teach Caleb how to drive is that I could yell at him. And it wouldn't hurt his feelings. And he could yell back at me, and it wouldn't hurt my feelings. I could say, son, good night. Are you trying to kill me and everybody within 50 miles? And he would say to me, you're making me nervous. And then he passed his test, and we high-fived. It was a total father-son thing. There was nothing wrong with it at all. I was feeling my oats. I'm a good driving teacher. Now, Dad, take Abby out three years later. Okay, sweetie, you needed to break a little earlier. Why do you hate me? I don't know. I I didn't think I did. I was just offering some gentle advice. And and every time I tried to take her out to teach her to drive, it would end with her in a puddle of tears. And I did what any self-respecting dad would do in that moment. I said, tag mom, you're it. (laughs) Thinking that the two women together in the car could navigate all of those relationship boundaries that I clearly didn't understand and she would get to the drivers test it ended the same way every single time any one of us either one of us tried to help Abby with her driving it ended with her in a puddle of tears in fact it was pulling in to our church parking lot for a Sunday morning years ago with Abby sobbing that Julie and I said, we're going to have to figure this out. And you know what we figured out? My daughter lived with this deep fear, part of growing up in a pastor's home with a mom who's a principal, lived with this deep fear that she would disappoint us in some way. And so every correction was interpreted in her mind as us saying to her, you're an incredible disappointment. And so once we figured that out, what we did is we bit the bullet and we sent her to a driving school. And with the fear of failure removed, she flourished. She loves to drive even to this day. In fact, she loves to drive so much that when her and her husband drive down from the Twin Cities to visit us, it is as likely that she drove the whole way as her husband drove the whole way because she loved it. The fear of failing her mom and dad was removed and her relationship to driving Changed from I'm a failure who's disappointing these people I love to being something that fills her with joy and satisfaction. Jesus paid it all on the cross for our sins. The threat of judgment and condemnation for violating the law of God has been removed entirely with that threat removed, we are free to relate to the law in a new way. Not as our taskmaster who rules over us in tyranny. Do this or literally die. But it instead becomes our loving guide who shepherds us and points us in the direction of a fulfilling life giving experience with Jesus as our Savior. That's what grace does. It doesn't absolve you of obligation to the law. Grace frees you to obey the law in ways that you never before could have. It gives you a capacity in the life of Jesus to live for Jesus in the way that you've always wanted. Let's pray.